Good morning. Um, this morning I come before you in all uh, humbleness and meekness and knowing that I'm unworthy to um, stand before you to preach the Word of God. And it's by His power, it's through the Holy Spirit that I pray that um, His Holy Word, that His Holy Scripture will reach your ears and enter your hearts and bend your minds more toward Him this day. Um, the title of my sermon this morning, more or less, is, is um, self-satisfaction, um, self-examination. It's the study of one's own behavior, motivations. What motivates you to do what you do every second of every day? Um, our scripture this morning will be coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, reading the first five verses. And as you'll see this morning, it's a little bit different sermon in the sense that as we preach, we've been going through the book of Luke as Pastor Ben has it's done a wonderful job as we've been going through these last few years or months, whatever it is, through the, uh, the book of Luke. It's been wonderful. It's been a great study, a great, great uh, series of sermons that we, um, as I enter in and, and kind of give him a break from that, that um, this morning my sermon is coming from chapter 13 from 2 Corinthians, but I'll use other scripture as well. So we'll be turning in our Bibles so we kind of have that ready in the hand. So the first five verses... Paul says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And then chapter 5, the main focus point here. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. How often do we self-examine our hearts, our minds? I know for my own self, it's not nearly quite often enough. I know that because the few times when I, when I preach, I have the opportunity to preach that that self-examination goes a little bit deeper and I get a true um, sense of where I am in walking with our Holy Father. And so I ask that whatever you get out of today's sermon, that, that the one thing that you do take away from this is to self-examine yourself. Don't compare you to others and their outward appearance. For outward appearances can, can fool the, the, the eyes, that it's the inward that's the most important. So it's the study of our own behavior, or it's the action of examining one's own body for signs of illness. Illness, in this sense, speaking of sin. Um, it's a spiritual inquisition, a bringing of oneself to trial, or a legal term, bringing oneself to trial. It's a heart anatomy. It discovers the inward parts, the heart, the liver, the arteries, 
In other words, it reveals all sins outward and inward. The Christian searches what is flesh and what is spirit, what is sin and what is grace. In Psalm 77, 6, he says, My spirit made diligent search. How often does your spirit make diligent search of your heart and your mind's motivation on a day-to-day basis or even a moment-to-moment basis? The rule by which a Christian must try himself is the Word of God. The way you compare the counterfeit to the real thing, the way you figure out if something is counterfeit is to compare it to the real thing. We know of all other, there's many other religions, so-called religions out there, and they believe in a lot of things. And as deceitful as Satan is, what they do is they sprinkle a little bit of truth, a little bit of leaven into the dough. And it makes it gives it the appearance of, of being outwardly clean when we know the leaven is there. It makes it sinful. We compare everything to holy writ. We must judge our spiritual condition by the canon of Scripture. In Psalm 119, 105, David calls this a lamp unto his feet. And as I just read to you in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves. Test yourselves and know that Jesus Christ is in you. And he has that with a question mark at the end. When you read that, do you read it with a question mark at the end? Or do you know for sure that Jesus Christ resides within your soul? And how do you know that? What proof would there be? If you were tried in a court of law, would you be convicted of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Or would you be pardoned and say, no, as Paul tried to do so, not so eloquently when Jesus was, leading, was led to the cross as they questioned Peter as to whether he was one of them and he pleaded and even cursed that he wasn't. Would that be you and I if placed in Peter's place there? Would we have done the same thing? More than likely, we probably would have. We know that Paul established a church at Corinth around 50 A.D., towards the end of his second missionary journey. So he founded the church there at Corinth, and he was, he was very fond of this church, for he founded it, and he loved this people. And, and as we know, as he's speaking to them, he's kind of being fairly harsh, we could say, in that he's saying, as I come, because they even questioned, questioned whether he was an apostle or not. They're questioning him. And, and as he loves this people so much, he, 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 he tests them. He says, I will come and I will test you. Test you by fire, if you will. This is my tablet, literal tablet. <laughs> In short, Paul received word that many in the Corinth church had followed after false prophets and had given themselves over to impurity of spirit. That means a false gospel, impurity of spirit. I have several friends, um, and they are dear friends, that I'm witnessing to as, as you know, this, at this moment at the, the, during these times. Um, and they, they have several different beliefs. There, there's a sprinkle of truth in what they say and what they believe in. And yet there's, there's also a sprinkle of, of, um, of, of falsehood. They've been led astray by wolves in sheep clothing. And he says, impurity of spirit, and he says, sexual immorality and sensuality, and not repented of it. 
So there's the key there. There's how you know if a Christian is a true Christian. Have you, have you repented of your sin? We all fall in sin. The consummation hasn't arrived yet. Jesus hasn't come back and raptured the church, as they say, or he hasn't come back and taken up his believers. Um, but have you repented of your sin? How do you know if you're a true Christian? Do you repent? Are you convicted of your sin? Does the Holy Spirit convict you? Paul's letter is a warning to them that if and when he returns to Corinth, that's verses 2 and 3, that if I come again, I will not spare them, for they had even questioned his authority as an apostle. Now, here are my points this morning. The first major one, the first overall point is a self-examination. And it's a great incumbent duty. Incumbent means a binding or it's mandatory, it's needing, it's obligatory. He says it cannot be possibly done without offering violence to ourselves. It's the duty in itself. The duty in itself is difficult because, and then my minor points under that, number one, it is a work of self-reflection. It is a work of self-reflection. It lies within the heart. It means we are to look inward. When I speak of heart, I'm actually referring to the mind. We all know what we consistently think of and about. Do you self-reflect? Do you reflect, self-reflect about your propensities for doing things? Why you do things? What's crossing your mind at the time? What are you doing it for? Is it for the glory of God? Is it for the glory of self? Is it to impress others or is it to lay down your body at the feet of Jesus Christ? What is it for? With our self-reflection, we are earnest with our mind seeking the word of God, of always seeking to magnify his glory with what we think and what we think of and with what we do. Our actions a lot of times will show someone um, where they stand before Jesus Christ. We can say and deceive mostly anyone, but what you do shows them really what your heart is all about. Um, one of the uh, pastors of the 1800s, one of the Puritan pastors, Thomas Watson says, the eye can see everything but itself. Man, how, how deep that one sentence is. The eye can see everything but itself. It is easy to spy the faults of others, but hard to find out our own faults. It goes back to having that plank in your eye. And, you know, you, you see the splinter in someone else's eye, but you can't see for the planks in your own eye. It's judging others when we need to be judging ourselves and making sure that we're walking according to the word of God ourselves on a daily basis. Thomas Watson. Subpoint two. Self-reflection is difficult because of self-love. And this is probably one of the most hardest to overcome or it's the most um, easily come by, I guess, for all of us, I believe, is self-love. I believe the most important word, and I've always heard this as I teach school, and you'll find this out very quickly at the beginning of the year when you mispronounce a child's name or you call them by someone else's name, which is easily done when you teach many kids. And you cannot be more hurtful or more derogatory or whatever word, adjective you want to put in there than to mispronounce a child's name. It takes a while for them to, to get past that. For we are, 
We are born with a self-love. If you don't believe that, when a baby's born, it's all about them. It's me, me, me. And unfortunately, for the most part, as we grow older and into our teenage lives and um, adolescence and on into adulthood, for many of us, it remains the same. Life remains about me. What have you done for me? What is this going to do for me? What can I get out of it? If nothing's in it for me, then I'm not involved in it. I don't want any part of it. It might ask something of me. What does Jesus say? What did he do? He came and he served. When, you're, when you are full of self-love, the last thing I promise you on your mind is serving others. For you yourself want to be served. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, of money. I think that's probably, probably in our time one of the most um, prevalent sins is the love of money. Um, the way we vote, the way we probably in some cases even our friendships are based on what we can get out of someone else. Um, it has to do with finances. It has to do with money. Even marriages. I believe if you were to take in a survey and find out what most marriages fall apart from, most of the time it would be finances. It's the love of money. It says being proud, arrogant. Man, there's one that I see often. is someone that's arrogant. If you ask someone to describe someone for you, if you had just met them, most of the time someone will describe the other person whether they're meek, whether they're humble, or whether they're arrogant. It'll be on the continuum with one on this end of the continuum and one on the other. Jesus says, go back and read his Beatitudes in Matthew. See what he says on that accord. He says, for people will be lovers of self, of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Man, ungrateful. There's another one. Um, it's been a long time coming, and I, I say this from the background again of, of teaching children that they're grateful for the things that they have and the things that, that they, even that they don't have. For I always said this, somebody asked me one time about why I don't play the lottery and this and that. I just, to me, it's just giving you money away for one. But someone asked, well, wouldn't you want to be rich? And my response is, the Lord never meant for me to be rich. And he said, well, why is that? I said, because he would know what a fool I would be with it. So be grateful for the things that you have. I am rich. I am rich. I'm, I'm, I have clothes to wear. I have plenty of food to eat, as you can plainly see. I have, fairly, I have good health, many friends, a church that loves me and a church that I love. Man, how much more rich can you get? A Savior that gave himself upon a cross, who bled himself who bled to death, who gave his blood for me. Man, how much greater love, how much richer can a person get? Un, people who are unholy, heartless, unappeasable. How many of you know someone who's unappeasable? 
No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try to please them, no matter hard, how hard you do things for them, it's never enough. It never measures up. The fun thing, the good thing about Jesus Christ, it's not about what you can do, it's what he's done. Amen. What, what, what great pleasure that gives my heart and ease of mind that I don't have to measure up to some standard, that the standard is Jesus Christ and that he's already fulfilled that for me. He says, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. Avoid such people. I had a, a youth, a younger person one time. I'm not, I'm not that old myself. I, I would tell you how young I am. But I might embarrass Pastor Bill back there because then that would kind of give you on the other end of the spectrum how old he really is. Joke, he'll, he'll, he'll get me later. Move on. But it was asked of me one time, well, how do you know when to, to, when to continue witnessing to someone and when to, to move on, when to take your shoes, knock the dust from them, and to move forward? And... The best that I could think of, and I still stand by it, I believe, is, and this is, again, speaking to a young person here, is, is ask yourself this, who is influencing who? Who is the person being influenced? Is your godliness, is your Christianity, is your, your love of Jesus Christ having an influence on the persons that you're around and their behavior and what they believe, or is it the other way around? Are they leading you astray? Are you no longer in the word of God? Are you following after false things? Then that's when you turn it loose and you turn your back and you head the other way. Who is influencing them? So, as ignorance blinds, so self-love flatters. By the way, that's from a favorite preacher of mine. You probably could guess none other than Pastor Bill. I mean, Charles Spurgeon. Along the same lines. But seriously, yes, as ignorance blinds, so self-love flatters. And you know what? What else do we really truly love than someone to flatter us? Don't we? I mean, we really, we sit there and we laugh and we think that's so easily, well, well, that's not me. But yes, how many of us love to be flattered? How many of us love people to say nice things about us? I believe we all would say we do, myself included. Who would not? But Jesus says, as Paul says, as given words through the Holy Spirit to examine yourself and know where that propensity comes from, know where, what's motivating that? What's the motivation behind it? He says, then on the other hand, where should your love be? In Matthew 22, chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And he, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is speaking here. And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. How many of us do that? How many of us do that at all times? I don't qualify for that. And I'm shameful for standing here and being able to tell you that. It's not anything that I'm proud of at all. But it's something as a self-examination as, as looking inwardly. I know that I, fi I fail the test there. But you know what? I have a loving father. I have a forgiving father. 
I have a father whose son died upon the cross, whose, whose blood, who, who, who's ransomed me, who, who saved me from my sins. I didn't do it. He did it for me. I couldn't do it. It was impossible. For I was dead in my sins. A dead person can't do anything. Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb. And if you're a Christian, he called you from the grave as well. I'm reminded of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, as Pastor Ben's already preached to us, so y'all should know what I'm talking about. You better. We spent three months on this. <laughs> reminded of the rich young ruler in Luke 18. He loved his money which is a direct reflection of what his heart yearned for. If you want to know what somebody yearns for, look at where he spends his money and where he spends his time. Those two go hand in hand and will tell you the heart of a, soul, uh, the heart of a person. Where he spends his money and where he spends his time. Does he spend his time reading the Holy Word, Holy Scripture? Does he spend his money on things that glorify God or does he spend his money on things that that just are self-pleasing, pleasure-seeking. I was listening to a sermon about three days ago from Vody Bauckham. I don't know if there's some of you in here familiar with Pastor Bauckham. And he was, his, his sermon was about, he said young men, he was speaking of young men particularly, um, probably somewhere he said around the ages from 17 to 20, he mentioned this young man who was 19 years old. And he said this young man was a man after God's own heart. He said he was a man who loved Scripture. He said he was a man who, he was a young man who prayed fervently, unceasingly. He knew his Bible. He read his Bible daily. He loved church history. He loved church doctrine and theology. And he says to pastor, that young man said, now there's a man being called by God to be a preacher. And Pastor Bauckham says, there it is right there. This young man is not doing anything other than what we all should be doing. And yet because he's doing these few little things, oh wow, he's being called to become a preacher. Aren't those just the th daily things that we should always be, always be doing on a day-to-day -day basis? If you're a Christian, if you're a person after God's own heart, why wouldn't you want to read his word daily? Why wouldn't you know, want to know about church history? Why wouldn't you want to be sound in theology? Those are, that, those are just the everyday traits of a Christian. That's what they should be. And, he, and, he, and now it, it comes to mind, he called it the mediocrity of the men in the church. That's what he called it. So as we, we go back through, and as we rewind a little bit, we talked about our first sub-point was it's a work of self-reflection. It's, 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 it's looking inward at our hearts and what our hearts are about. Then with our second point, we talked about it's a, it's a self-reflection. It's, it's because of self-love that we stray from God. And then our major point, number two, is this. The examination is difficult, so it is a work that we are not easily brought to. Things that are difficult for us, we seem to stray from. We don't want to tackle head on most of the time. We want to put off to 
the last thing. We want to procrastinate. procrastinate. We, don't want to, we don't want to really tackle it. So why don't we regularly self-examine our hearts and minds and where the affections are directed? That's my second major point is and it's the examination. Why don't we test ourselves? Because it's difficult, because it can be harsh. It's hard to bring ourselves to do. And I tell you all this morning, and as I stumble and bumble through this, this was hard to write for me. For it's from the heart. For it's a self-examination of myself. You see, sin is a heart issue. It's an inside job. Jeremiah 17.9 declares firmly, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can answer that question for you this morning. God can. And he does. We know our own propensity for sin. Your propensity to sin may be different from mine. A lot of times we see others in a more downward light than we do our own, for we think their sin is worse than ours. We may look down upon someone who's an alcoholic. We may look down on someone who's addicted to this or to that. When all sin is, is so much darkness, separates you from God in such, a, in such a broad way, that's the reason when Jesus hung upon that cross and he took upon our sins on his shoulders, when he took all of our sins, those that are of the elect, upon himself, that it was pure darkness for three hours. It was something that the eye was not even meant to see. There was the agony of Christ on the cross. That's the reason he prayed in the garden. Yes, he was about to undergo some of the most torturous um, things you could possibly imagine physically. But that was not what he was praying for. That was not why he, he knelt there. It's because of the sin. It's because he was, it's the only time in his life. He, remember, he was without sin. He was perfection. He was God's son. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Our propensities may be different, but it's still sin. Only Jesus Christ in the Holy, with the unction of the Holy Spirit can free us from a heart filled with sin. See, it takes the Holy Spirit. We can't free ourselves from anything. And as I said, before you became a Christian, before you became someone who's in Christ, you were dead. Something dead can't do anything. Your natural inclination, you were born into sin. You were dead from the very beginning of your birth. The only thing that could give you life is the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' point to Nicodemus and, and John. That's what that's all about. Go back and read that. Um, I love when Pastor Ben is preaching is to write notes as he preaches because things race through my mind and I write them down. And I probably could preach a sermon from, his, from notes from his sermons. And I probably get carried away sometimes when, he's, when he asks the questions at the end. And my hand goes up, I got 20,000 answers 
where I've been writing all these words and things. But, but isn't that a good thing? Isn't that good? Thomas Watson, he was around these parts from 1620 to 1686, Pastor Bill's good friend. I love picking on Pastor Bill, as he can see. He'll get me back later, I promise you. From 1620 to 1686, so he predated Charles Spurgeon just a little bit. He was around in the 1800s. He states as an example, he says, and, and of course this is the language from the 1600s, so you kind of have to stay with me. He says, tradesmen that are sinking in their estates or their finances are loath to look over their books or cast up their accounts, lest they should find their estates low. Likewise, many Christians loath to look into their guilty hearts, lest they should find something there that they should affright them, as Moses affrightened at the sight of the rod turned into a serpent. Found in Exodus chapter 4. We don't want to take on, we don't want to, we don't want to nail what that, you know what it is within you that's your propensity. You know what is in you that keeps you from reading the Bible. We come up with all kinds of excuses. I don't have time. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Look, I'm 50 years old, which is not that, that old. It's really not. It seems yesterday, and I was just 20 years old, 30 years have passed by in the blink of an eye. In another 50 years, the probability of me standing here before you is slim to none, probably more than likely, unless the good Lord blesses me in a great way. So my point is, eternity is forever. We're on this world. We're, we're here for a very short time. And God placed each and every one of us here for a reason. And that's to preach his words, give his gospel to the lost. I hope you're fulfilling what he put you here for. Now, your way of doing so may be different than, than Pastor Ben who's called to the pastorate. It doesn't have to be that. We all have different ways that we serve God. Some may be providing food to the poor. Some may be a missionary work in some dangerous place or even not so dangerous place. Whether it's dangerous or not, you're giving the gospel to someone who needs it, who is lost and is going to the same hell whether you're in a poor country or a rich country. It doesn't matter. So point two, they, we, Rest in the good opinion of others. How we love someone to think good of us. How we love to preach a sermon and have someone come up and say what a great job that was. How we love to do something or say something and say what a, what a profound comment that was. We value the opinions of others greatly. As Solomon, King Solomon would say, what vanity. What vanity. So much vainness. Never place your trust, and I've always told this to people. When I'm, when I'm witnessing, I've got a good friend now. He's from South Africa, and he's been here for a few years now. He has a wife and a child, and, and he's fighting all this stuff about having been sent back and all this. And, he, and, he, you know, and I speak to him, and, and he, 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 he walks with the Lord, but he's, you know, he's, he's got some, as we all do, he's got some work to do, but and, and he talks about placing trust in different people. And I, I've always told him this. Never place your trust in mankind. Never place your trust in me. You will always be disappointed. You see, if you place your soul trust in me, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to let you down because I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
I'm still a sinner. I haven't been brought to perfection by, through sanctification yet. That's a work in progress for sanctification. And I'm not complete, I'm not perfect in any stretch. But I long and yearn to be more like Christ daily. I hope you do too. If you place your complete trust in me, I unfortunately will never inevitably let you down. The Bible reference I put here was none other than Judas Iscariot, who was looked upon, I'm sure, by the rest of the apostles as a true believer. Remember at the table when Jesus spoke of one of you will betray me? None of the apostles, none of the disciples knew who it was. A traitor against Jesus Christ, the one that was going to betray Jesus, seems to be the most obvious. And yet they all looked around at each other, is it me? They would have been ready to have given their hands to this evidence. You see, he was a lover of the world. He was of the world. As a matter of fact, if I'm correct, I believe he was the person in charge of their finances. Man, how things have an influence over us if we do not stay in God's word. If you stray from his word, I promise you, it won't be long before things start coming your way and you start being led astray. I know this morning, as I, the last few days, as I really started to bring this to a close and trying to get my mind in, in sync on what I was going to say, that things just start happening, guys. Things just start happening that just seem to be, it's got to be a Satan. As I'm studying, as I'm doing, the other night I go out to move my truck. I don't know, I was going to town for something, and I back into my girlfriend's, my girlfriend's. There she is right over there, folks. My wife. My girlfriend and my wife, I better, I better join that in. This sermon could end rather fast. Um, <laughs> a little nervousness on my part. But my youngest daughter's boyfriend parked right behind me. And so I get in my truck. I'm not thinking. I back up the way I always do and pile back right into him. My mind had been right. I'd been reading. I'd been studying and pile. And you can imagine, what are your first thoughts? When that goes, when that happens to you, I just imagine they're not godly. <laughs> Let's be brutally honest. Charles Spurgeon said this. He's one of my favorites, as you already know. Standers by can but see the outward behavior. They cannot tell what evil is in the heart. Fair streams of a river run on the top, but, but vermin may lay at the bottom. That outward appearance may seem like gold. But at the bottom, it's the dross. It's the, it's, the, it's the bad stuff. Proverbs 30, 19, King Solomon said, There were four things too wonderful for him that we could not know. And I didn't write them down, so I wish I knew what those four things were. But you can look it up. There's your homework. Proverbs, four, Proverbs 30, 19, four things that he could not know. But we could have added a fifth one. And that's the way of a man's heart. Do you know your heart this morning? Do you know what your heart longs for? First and foremost, they do not possess a yearning to read Scripture. Their guilt convicts them, and the law confirms it. It holds them accountable. Proverbs 17, verses 11 through 12 says, She is loud and wayward. He's, he's talking about, well, I'll go back and let me, let me start at the beginning. It says, It is the note of a harlot. Okay, and this is what he's talking about. He says, 
she is loud and wayward. And I wrote myself a question. That's the reason I kind of skipped down because I kind of skipped over this. But I always wondered, you know, why does the scripture always use that word? It just seems so, so harsh, harlot. You ever wonder about that? My answer to it is what I wanted to speak to you is because the unrepentant sinner is an adulterer or adulteress against her betrothed husband, Jesus Christ. You see, the believer, we are in Christ. Jesus is the husband and we are the bridesmaid. There's the imagery there. There's the imagery there. There's this, that's what the symbolism means. And, if, and, and for those that are not of Christ, then there's the harlot, the adulteress or the adulterer. Either one works the same. And it says, Psalm, Proverbs 7, 11 through 12, and B and I got it all chopped up. I'm actually going to turn there. There we go. Chapter 7. Verses 11 through 12. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. See, her feet does not stay in the Word of God. Her feet does not stay in prayer. Her feet does not yearn for Jesus Christ. It does not convict her of her sin. And it says, Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. See, that's what the false prophet does. That's what false doctrine does. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Has sin found you? Have you wandered waywardly? Have you wandered away from Scripture so far that the harlot has found you? Return to your first love as Revelation, as Jesus speaks to those first churches in the book of Revelation. Go back and read about those churches and see what Jesus says about most about all seven of them. He says, because you have turned away from your first love. Spurgeon says, furthermore, oh, let us try our hearts as we do gold by the touchstone. That's a mineral used for testing the quality of gold. I had to look that up, by the way. Let us examine our sins and finding out this leaven, burn it. Let us examine our grace to see if it would be of the right kind. Do you believe Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2? Again, if you have your Bibles, and I told you we were going to do this. Don't look too far back. Hebrews chapter 2. He says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, and we don't, do we? Look around and see what you see. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Man. Do you believe that? Do you? In conclusion, as um, I always love these old Puritan preachers. They just have a way of saying things. I want to finish by, by reading this to you. It's not those who are baptized, not those who attend church and partake of the Lord's Supper who are true believers. Yes, only a few, and by far the smallest number of them are true believers on the way of eternal felicity. Think of a multitude as you would find in ants, or as you would find gathered in a filled church. While doing so, consider the following. Simon the sorcerer was baptized in the book of Acts. The guests without the wedding garment sat at the table in Matthew. Half of the virgins were foolish in Matthew. Only few are chosen. Only few find the narrow way and enter through the narrow gate, where there are many who are on the broad way, who through the wide gate run to their damnation. That's Matthew again. And thus, our focus is upon you. And should you not ask yourself what hope you are entertaining about yourself, Lord, is it I? It is most detrimental to neglect self-examination in the searching of one's heart. Such neglect holds man captive in the sleep of carelessness. It causes him to waste time. It renders the means of grace useless and impotent. It hardens his heart against all the threatenings and judgments of God. It holds him captive to the world and to sin. Yes, it is the key whereby he closes heaven and opens hell for himself. How profound. So in finishing up, just a few rhetorical questions. Do you do what you do for the sole glory of Jesus Christ? Do you pray unceasingly for his will to be done in your life through the good times and the bad times? Do you depend upon holy writ for your guide and daily wisdom? Do you fret over things that you have failed to fix while ignoring God's answer in the scriptures? There's mine. Do you feel guilty and too shameful to read what God has to say about your sin and repentance? Or do you love your sin more than God? Do you love yourself more than what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross at Calvary? Let's pray. Father God, how grateful I am to have this opportunity to stand before this group and to preach your holy word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, will, will etch it upon their hearts, Father, will give them understanding. Father, where I fumbled and, and just 
probably father in places didn't make a whole lot of sense father may your spirit apply it to their hearts will you give them understanding would you have them to know what you would have them to know father forgive me for my failure forgive me for my disobedience forgive me for my lack of self-examination oh father as i go forth as your son your adopted son father may we forever be so always self-examining whether we're walking a life that's pleasing to you and glorifying you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.